Attribution is a huge part of any marketer's strategy, but it has also changed a lot over the last few years. And it's going to change even more as third-party cookies come to an end. So what does this mean for attribution in 2024? Should we all be like full hellbent on getting attribution set up now? Should we be throwing it out and saying, let's do something else? And like, how do you actually adapt with this whole third-party cookie bullcrap? In this panel episode of The Stack, we talked to three marketing attribution experts to find these things out. You'll also get the opportunity to get the guidance about what you need to do, what you need to not do to step up your attribution game. Now, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you can get our episodes each week. And I'd love for you to leave a review when you get done with this episode. But I'm Dan. I'm the CEO of the leading tech stack agency, McGaw. And this is The Stack, where I talk about the strategies and tactics people are using to grow their business, as well as the tools they're using to do it. Let's start by getting to know our panelists. First up, Andy Carone. So I am the president at Revenue Pulse, also known as RP, and we are a MOPS and RevOps consultancy. We grew up around Marketo. We have a ton of Marketo champions, mug leaders. It's kind of our passion area, but we've grown from there. I also grew up in Marketo. It was my second marketing automation platform, and I've been running the user group in Chicago since 2017, and that's been a parallel to attribution as a passion. And I've had the opportunity to speak about source, UTM gathering, and all sorts of other things at fun events like Serious Decisions, Adobe Summit, and so on. Next, we've got Drew Smith. My background is actually very similar to Andy's. Got my start with Marketo, and uh, it was actually my first marketing automation platform. Ultimately, uh, saw a, a marketing attribution platform back in 2017, fell in love with it, and eventually decided to start Attributa, which is an agency that primarily focuses on marketing attribution. It is really, truly our primary focus. Yeah, I grew up just loving stats and data and numbers and uh, memorizing sports stats. And that really was kind of the foundation for me getting into uh, attribution is just love of statistics and numbers. And lastly, Stefan Hedebrand. First of all, I'm Stefan. Uh, I'm in Denmark right now. I'm uh, one of the co-founders of Dream Data, which is a B2B attribution platform. Think about it as a fresher version of Visible, and then we're selling to B2B companies of most sizes nowadays. My, my background is really as a B2B marketing leader, so I'm perhaps a little bit less technical than Andy and Drew, but uh, let's see about that as we get along. What I'd love to kick off with is kind of like, what is the state of attribution in 2024? And I'll try to provide just a little bit of a backdrop here. Attribution is, in many cases, has been looked at like the holy grail in marketing. And I even remember 10 years ago, everybody talking about attribution and things like that and how they have it and it's going to change all this stuff. And then once they got it, nobody was ever even able to do anything with it. So would love to turn it to our panel and see if they have any uh, thoughts about this. So I think you referred to it as a perceived holy grail of sorts. And I think people are starting to think about it, I hope, and from what I've seen, more realistically, to level set expectations against it and to not come in and think it's going to be a silver bullet that just solves everything and magically tells you where exactly to go spend your money or not. It can help with that, but it's not a instruction manual on marketing. It's an optimization tool. And I think people are starting to see that more realistic output. Interesting. 
What about your opinion, Drew, right? Like naturally as another consultant who works in this space, but this is like all you do, right? Do you think people are getting realistic with this? I agree with Andy that I think it's coming to a place where people are kind of changing their mindset about what attribution is and what it's supposed to do in the organization. I think everybody's kind of solidified what it isn't at this point, which is it's not a way to create battles between marketing and sales. It's not a way to you know, have somebody tell you exactly like, hey, put $50,000 into this ad campaign and you'll, you'll spit out a million dollars in revenue. I think we found out what it isn't. And I think what the market is trying to do right now is really find, settle into what it is and what it can really do and how it can benefit an organization. But I think we spent the last four, five, six, seven years really figuring out what it isn't. Now we just got to find out what it is and what it can't do. Now, I think there's an interesting thing to just clarify here, right? Like when we think about what you both said, I just said attribution. How does that change? I know, Stefan, naturally your product is multi-touch attribution and all of us are kind of talking about MTA, right? Is attribution more of a real thing compared to multi-touch attribution or are we all cooking from the same saucepan here when we're talking about multi-touch being realistic for companies nowadays? To my experience, I'm actually thinking that, as Drew just said, we're entering kind of a new phase for attribution tools. And the reason for that is that people are becoming aware that you can't run these seven or eight digit number ad spends without having any way to, you can't just burn through that money without having any clue about what's it yielding afterwards. So I think that's being solidified as something like if you're serious about spending money on like go to market, you have to have a tool like that. And actually, to be honest, the state of attributes, like there's a lot of talk about, oh, it's getting harder and harder to measure. Yeah, maybe that's true. But all the different kind of data vendors are also getting better and better at building APIs to share this data. Like we have access to a special LinkedIn API where we get access to account level data all the time, where it's just engagement data, not people who actually click through to websites. That's one example. G2 is sharing their intent data as well. And a lot of all these vendors are now building APIs that helps us suffer when they go out in there and, uh, and collect the data. So I actually think it's getting less and less dark what's going on. I think that's really, really interesting. Like, naturally, I think a lot of people have panicked because, like, the third party cookie is going to die. Everybody's like, oh man, what am I going to do? Facebook's not going to tell me how to run my business. There's this level of like fear, which I think you naturally have talked about, but there sounds to be solutions for that, right? So when we think about like that trend going in 2024, I know Chrome was like, we just shut off a million browsers cookies and all kinds of people in the analytics space was like, what does this mean? And really my team was like, it doesn't mean anything. Almost all of us are already doing first party cookie tracking. It doesn't affect us. So I guess like I'm curious for this audience, right? Does that affect you or your teams that you're worried about? I mean, that doesn't affect us at all because, again, to your point, it's first-party cookies is what most organizations are using. Part of the reason why I, I love going on panels like this is because for every single person that joins a panel like this that is solving attribution problems, you have probably 30 or 40 people that are saying what attribution can and can't do. And most of the problems that are out there are solvable. You can solve problems around some of the things that are supposedly dark historically. To Stefan's point, there's advancements in the technology. There's also ways to get creative to find ways to get around those things. There's pulling in other platforms that can actually see the certain pieces that are dark that can actually integrate directly into other platforms that can then be used by an attribution software. And so I think that 
there's so many folks out there that just say that, that you can't do these things and they're taken at face value as like, well, I guess we can't do that. And the rest of us, like, you know, me, Andy and Stefan are over here going, no, 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 you can, you can totally solve for these things. So I think that there's so much room for growth in just the expertise in the attribution world that is just lacking right now. And there's just so much room to add more expertise and, and more solutions to problems. Yeah, and if I can pick up on Drew there as well, like people underestimate how many touches there are in, in a B2B journey. So, okay, should you lose one cookie? Well, like we put out some benchmarks last year where there were, the average deal would have 31 sessions on the website. If you think about like a, a B2B deal comes out of somebody coming to your website, converting on a form, they then receive five, six, seven newsletters. And every time they click a link in that newsletter, they go to the website. We set the tracking once more. If they log into the product, we track them. <laughs> like there's so many opportunities to reset the cookie should it get deleted. So yeah, the depth of tracking is grossly yeah, over or estimated, if you ask me. Well, and I think it's the death of current tracking. And everyone's freaking out about current tracking going away. But what we're saying is, okay, we're moving away from third-party cookies. We're going to head toward parameter stripping, right? Like there are these things that we've relied on as marketers to be able to have data. I know that future state, we're probably going to be looking at server-to-server data where it's not anything that's accessible and therefore because it's in the sub-layer, it's considered okay. Prioritization of user consent. So it's okay to use this data for whatever measurement you want, right? Or unified ID sort of scenario. So there will be new ways of tracking that are developed as the old ones are made inaccessible or deprecated or become passe or considered like icky. And then those will be deprecated. It's just going to be that cycle, that ongoing process of what our technology can provide and what we feel comfortable with. Yeah, and, and to piggyback on something that, that Stefan said about missing a cookie in, in a stream of 31 touch points is it's like, okay, so you missed season two, episode seven, but you watched the entire seven seasons of, of the show. What did you miss in season two, episode seven that means that you didn't get the entire gist of what the show was about? Maybe you missed something big, but you still saw everything else that happened in that show. I think as long as you aren't missing half of the episodes of the show, you're probably okay. You probably know majority of what's happening, so you can make decisions based on that. I don't think that you know missing one cookie for one session is a big deal when what we're trying to do is we're actually trying to understand big picture what's happening in the marketing org versus super granular nitpicking about individual individual nuts and bolts in what is a much larger picture. You're all saying something that I, I really, really agree with, which I'm excited about. There's going to be changes. The data doesn't need to be definitive in every single use case, like more directional, make sure that we have the big picture. But I think there's some interesting things that came out of that. Andy, one of the things you talked about is like, it sounds like we're going to constantly innovate. And it also sounds like there's parameter stripping, right? And that's happening really on these third-party cookies and things like that. So when I, like really in our company at UTM.io, one of the reasons why we've seen such amazing growth is because UTMs are not going anywhere. Everybody keeps saying UTMs are staying, but they can't tell you they're going to protect any other parameter on the URL. 
So I'm curious, when we start to think about strategies for effective attribution tracking, let's first start with kind of like, how do you need to set up UTMs or tracking, even so your URLs can be tracked? What do you think are like effective things you need to be making sure you do today to at least be able to get the data into whatever system you're trying to track? Consistency is king. That's really the thing. It's if you're not creating the data, then you have no data to measure against. So creation, consistency, and then collection are kind of the three pieces that have to go together. Even if you're not going to use the data today or tomorrow, having it in advance for when you need it is kind of that rainy day fund, right? Mm, I like that analogy. Stefan? Yeah, no, I completely agree with Andy, but yeah, it's partly also kind of a, a leadership responsibility, committing to being like, look, we want to act data-driven in this company. So any activity we do, we carry the activity out, but we need to think about, okay, how are we going to measure it? How does success look like? How did this marketing activity perform? What should we do the next time? If you have cowboys in the sales teams just calling with their own phone, get them into a calling software. If you send newsletters without UTMs, start using UTMs. If you do customer success work in your Gmail, move them into a tool that actually leaves behind a, a digital touch. I think this is something that like leadership should be pushing this. We need to be acting data-driven so you can't just go on and purely act on your own gut feeling in these projects. I don't have anything that would disagree with Stefan and Andy. So uh, instead of just repeating what they said, the one thing that I would add on is there's no better time to get started than right now. If you aren't doing these things, get started. You don't have to wait to buy some software. You don't have to wait to get that next hire in. You don't have to wait for some trigger to get started on these things. Just get started. Once you get started, you will start building that operational rigor. That's what I call the consistency and all that connection, all that stuff. You will start building that operational rigor. But if you never get started, you'll never have a starting point. That journey of running a marathon, you got to take that first step. So take that first step now. Well, let me, let me ask this as a very specific question, right? When we think about, we're all saying consistency, get started, you got to track, you've got to have a leadership goal, right? What's step one, then what's step two, then what's step three to even get started in multi-touch attribution? Like we have to be real in the fact of, I talk to $500 million a year companies that are still barely doing accurate last touch attribution. And they are successful SaaS companies who have thrown hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions of dollars at the problem, and they have two attribution tools, and they still can't get it right. If we were to wind back and write, like naturally, I, I can answer some of this coming from my perspective in UTMs, but like, what is the first step that you need to do? I think, Stefan, you kind of talked a little bit about it, but then like, what are the three steps you need to take to like, at least get started in first, in multi-touch at least? My advisement is not going to be about tools. It's not going to be about models. It's not going to be about practices. It's going to be about the stakeholders sitting down in a room and deciding what attribution is for their organization and what outcomes they actually want to get out of it. Because if they've got two tools and a complete lack of alignment, it doesn't matter if they had a third tool, a fifth tool, a 20th tool, nothing's going to work if they're not all on the same page about what they're looking to accomplish with one tool, let alone two or 10. What are we measuring against? What are our KPI? Like, what is this going to do for the business? What do we want out of it? To add on to that, I would say that the thing that I see that orgs need to start with right out of the gate 
is, and this comes right after what Andy's talking about of the intentional design, is intentional design of what you want to capture in terms of data and things like that. Good data never happens accidentally. It doesn't. There's this weird theory that's called not theory. You ever wonder why your old AirPod cords always tangled in a knot? It's because there's an infinite number of possibilities for them to tangle into a knot. And there's like three possibilities for them to not tangle. So they will undoubtedly tangle in your backpack. It's the same thing if you don't intentionally design your data creation, collection, and curation process. You will undoubtedly end up with a data mess. I guarantee it. Good data never happens accidentally. You have to intentionally design it. Stefan, what are your opinions here? The non-technical path is really to like inspire a curiosity in your organization to say like every time we win a deal, what's our story? What's the narrative? Where did this deal come from? Sales team, explain me how did we win this deal? Marketing, tell me how we won this deal. Because like the cheat codes, at least to me, to be successful with B2B marketing is really like, if you understand the 100 deals you won last year, try to look for the like commonalities between those journeys and go out there next year and put in double the money in that project, cut the budget from that project. So you can continuously scale what's working and what's not working. Then marketing is a lot easier if you can look back at what you did in the past and see that worked, that didn't work. If we then switch to the very technical side to be able to actually understand multi-touch attribution in, in the B2B world, like you need a data warehouse. You need all the things that touch the customer journeys put into that one data warehouse. You need to clean up all that data. You need to deduplicate it. You need to build an account-based timeline, which I think Nine out of 10 B2B companies grossly underestimate. If you're not looking at things in an account-based timeline, you're completely missing what's going on. Marketing is going to look like a waste of money. It's going to look like the sales team is bringing in all the deals. The people that starts the journeys are not the people that, that signs the contracts. So everything you're going to do is going to be based on which salesperson signs the deals. And it couldn't be more far off what's actually happening. So you need to establish like a data model that is an account-based timeline inside one data warehouse that contains all the touches. Because then you can see, oh, it was this piece of content. It was this ad. It was this conference, etc. So if you want to get really geeky and get this right, it's all the data out of all the tools that it lists within, structured into a data model. And then you can start to do analysis on top of that. This is where I'm going to be a little bit controversial, I think. You can do everything Stefan just said, and you will fail if you don't have one thing in your organization. And that is somebody that can actually take a look at the data and the numbers that was just created by everything that Andy said, everything I said, and everything Stefan said, if you don't have somebody in your organization that understands data and statistics and math and can read data and pull insights out of it and understand what the questions are that you structure to get to that insight, you will fail. You cannot be a data-driven organization without somebody that understands data and statistical modeling. You can't. Now, that doesn't mean you need to be a PhD. You don't have to be a quant. But you do have to have somebody that knows the difference between mean, median, and mode and when to use them. I'm going to be controversial here and say I actually disagree with all of this. Ooh. I know. Spicy. So I love all of this. I love the idea of going to Mars, going interstellar. 
but I can't make a business case to build a spaceship that big until I've gotten us to the moon or at least into orbit. And so I think there's got to be smaller pieces that are take a bite size, chew it, start with campaign analysis, start with optimization at whatever level your organization can manage with the headcount and the knowledge and experience you have on staff or can find from an external partner to help bring in you're probably not going to have a statistical genius on staff when you're just getting started as much as you're probably going to need one eventually if you scale. But if you don't start somewhere, you can't get out of the atmosphere. You can't get out of the solar system. And so while I agree that a truly good model does need all of that to function for a business, most businesses who start building something that's going to get them out of the solar system fail because by the time they need to be actually there, the two years it took them to develop, the company's gone out of business because it didn't have any way to continue to support the business in the interim. And that's a problem. I don't disagree with anything you just said. I don't disagree with anything you said. I do think, though, that there is a vast underestimation in organizations in the ability of their rank and file marketers to do statistical analysis. Agreed. Even basic analysis I've seen orgs where they just put this data in the hands of everybody. And I've seen organizations whose teams have made come to the absolute wrong conclusions. And they've made decisions that would negatively impact the business by shifting their focus on, for example, events, focusing on only capturing net new leads as opposed to events also bringing in people that are in active opportunity cycles. And this would have impacted revenue in a really, really bad way because they had somebody that doesn't understand how to look at even fairly basic data that was interpreting it incorrectly and making the wrong decisions. You've got to have somebody that's competent. I don't mean genius level, competent. And we actually overestimate the ability of our team members to be able to do that. I think that's a leadership failure in allowing confirmation bias to be the metric by which we optimize and measure, right? I like that one. I find this very intriguing because naturally, going back to something that Stefan said, dump all the data in a warehouse, be able to report on top of it. Like McGaw gets paid hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to do that with organizations. And even when we go through the routine of getting everybody aligned, right? And we get everybody to understand like, hey, these are the KPIs. This is the planning. This is how you should use this data once we give it to you. And even if we do a multi-touch attribution model or just a first and last touch attribution model, right? I think one of the things that people expect to be able to do with multi-touch attribution or attribution in general is typically wrong. It's looked at as a reporting tool. Let me look back 12 months ago and understand what my ROAS was for this individual campaign. I personally don't think a multi-touch attribution model or a first or last touch attribution model should be really always used in a return on investment focus. It is a campaign optimization tool, right? You're leveraging this information to go optimize your campaigns. Yes, can you see your return on ad spend? Absolutely. But if you are understanding your data, which you are tracking differently every single day, going back to something that we had said, you lost that key point in the story. That key point in the story may come back into fold at a later time, which then changes the whole entire data model, which makes it really, really hard to track. So I'm curious to understand, we talked a little bit about like, hey, these are some of the basics to get started. But I guess like, what is the role actually of marketing attribution or multi-touch attribution once you actually have it stood up? How do people actually put this to work and turn it into money? Because I think people get that wrong. 
I talked a little bit about good attributes being the cheat codes for the computer game. I, I highly believe that because if you know what works, you can do more and less of stuff. But the way I really think about it, like on a like a day-to-day decision-making uh, basis, it's really I think about it as a a bell curve or like yeah normal distribution. So you have stuff you do that is just not working, and an attribution tool will scream this in your face. And then there's stuff that is an outlier in the positive sense. This is absolutely working. If you continue to just move independent between these, this is not working. Let's stop spending money here. Let's move stuff over to the stuff we can see this is working. And then like you're constantly moving your customer acquisition cost in a good direction. So for me, it's, it's not so mad about the tough calls. It's much more about just spotting you're wasting money over here and like these campaigns are great or like this conference was a complete hit last year. Let's go to that again. So that, that for me, that's kind of the first thing. Stop like doing the granular stuff. Just use the obvious stuff that the attribution is telling you. I would completely agree. Most people get a little too crazy in it being very, very definitive and I want to know this exact thing. Andy, what's your opinion here? So for, as an optimization tool, it's a lot like building a stock portfolio, right? Some things are going to go up. You want to invest more in those. You need to be able to maneuver within what the economy and the environment is doing for your brand at that time and pivot based on the data that you have with some recency. But I think there's also a benefit to looking backward in doing things like ROI analysis because it helps you build a baseline for what budgets could be or should be. It helps you start to benchmark historically where you kind of hit that threshold of diminishing returns as you put more budget into one thing or another thing so that you can start to optimize how much spend you need. Are you effectively doing things like lowering CAC by being smarter about how you're using your budget? Can you justify a larger budget? Those are those parts of the conversation. But the actual marketing initiative side of things should be forward-focused and recency-focused. Yeah, and I think just adding on to that, there's also this idea that you can use attribution to help with your like A-B testing and understanding what's currently happening in the organization. So uh, I'm going to tell this quick story. So this is an organization. They had just launched a brand new paid search campaign with their ad agency, and we did a 30-day check-in on the paid search campaign. And we were able to see, it was a direct response, auto MQL, it was supposed to be requested demo, automatically send it over to the BDR, SDR, qualify for sales, get it going, right? So it's supposed to be a very quick process to get things moving here. So we checked in at the 30-day mark, and we found that it was doing great. Really, really low cost per lead, really, really high conversion rate. At those metrics, most people would say, great, we're performing well. But because we had attribution and we knew to look take the next step, we checked to see at this point in time how many opportunities are there. None. Not a single opportunity yet. Well, that's odd. So did they all go through proper operational channels, MQL properly? Yes. Did they get assigned properly? Yes. So it's not an operational issue. So what happened? Were they actually even worked and actioned on by the BDRs? Yes, they were. Well, we checked had their disposition. Every single one of them was disqualified because it was a small mom and pop shop, bakery, flower shop, nail salon, hair salon, stuff like that. This organization had no solution for that firmographic profile. So we were able to immediately pause the ad. We knew something was wrong with the ad. We paused the ad. We evaluated the ad. What we found is that the ad was fine. The, ad, the landing page was wrong. The image on the landing page was a mom and pop shop. So when people, it was very quaint. 
So when people came to the landing page that were mom and pop shops, they said, this is for me. And they filled out the form. So we changed the copy. We changed the image. We relaunched the ad 30 day check-in after we relaunched it, much higher cost per lead, much lower conversion rate. Well, that went the wrong direction, right? We actually were starting to see opportunities. That's the power of what this stuff can do for you when you actually know what to look for and where to look for it, and you have the data at your fingertips. Mind you, that entire reporting and analysis process took less than 30 minutes because the data was there. We didn't have to stitch together multiple reports and multiple data sets and do all this data transformation in an Excel document. It was there. We just had to look. Most orgs don't look. They run the ad campaign and they just let it run. They let it fly. They don't do the 30-day check-in. I would agree. Most companies don't. And great story, by the way. I think it really kind of sends the point home on how all this stuff can really work together. This is a great way to optimize your campaign, right? And understand how things are working or how things are not. However, I think there's a few channels, right, that are kind of mystic, in lack of a better way of saying it, on how we're going to track them. So let's just use case in point. Right now, we're all being recorded for a webinar and a podcast, which is now going to be converted into a recording that goes out into the podcast ethersphere, whatever. And then at the same token, we have this concept of dark social, which I don't know if People call podcast dark social still, or if it's just dark funnel or whatever. I don't know what what hip word we have these days. I feel older every day. Either way, how the hell are we tracking this dark funnel, dark social in our attribution today? What are the tools or techniques that are doing this? I have lots of thoughts on this whole podcast can't be tracked thing. I've got a whole article on it that I wrote, but... Uh, so first off, like I think the importance of something like a podcast, like we have to go back to something that Andy said earlier, which is, what is the point of the podcast? Is the point of the podcast demand generation and leads? Or is the point of the podcast more branding and networking? And in some cases, is the point of the podcast, in extreme cases, is it a vanity project? Okay. If we don't know the goals, we can't track it. Most orgs that create a podcast don't actually have stated goals for the podcast. They just do it. So I would say at that point in time, you can't track anything if you don't have goals, number one. Number two, there's four people talking on this podcast. And if we go back to Marketing 101, every single one of us should have a CTA and an offer for folks that listen to this podcast to interact with us. How many of us do? I don't. And I'm the one saying this, and I don't. Come on, attribution, dude. Like, what do you do? Come on, you're the king of attribution. Well, I know, but the thing is, the CTA is going to be call me, and I'm the one that does all my own sales. So I, I, my attribution's right in here because I'm such a small org. But if you follow actual marketing like rules and the stuff that we're all supposed to be doing, a lot of the dark stuff around the podcast actually is solved by following some general marketing 101 stuff. I would agree. I would agree. Do the general marketing stuff. Do the basics. Anybody else having uh, some opinions on that? There's also like, for anybody who signed up to this webinar, smack that into like a, a campaign in the CRM system. If that True. account ends up buying at some point, that webinar would probably have been part of that journey. I think there's also like, we just have to live with the fact that there's some disciplines that lends itself <laughs> to be easily measurable than, than others. And this is where uh, marketing becomes this lovely both science and, uh, and craft thing where like, if you're doing a podcast and the following is growing, you feel and sense that it's the right people who are listening 
should you stop doing it just because you can't measure it? Oh, of course you can't. You need to kind of also trust your gut a little bit there. And I, and I typically advise people to try to, you know, come up with like, and this is going to sound wrong in this episode, but like, come on, come up <laughs> with qualitative uh, evidence instead. That's everything from the sales team remembering to tell the, these anecdotes. I was on this call the other day. They mentioned the podcast or... I was at this conference, this person said that they read our content or like you see somebody mentioning you on LinkedIn, take the screenshot, store that in some kind of folder and like build up a, like a, a bank of also these qualitative elements because some stuff are just impossible to like measure one-on-one. So I'll keep that bank of qualitative evidence as well and judge the amount of qualitative evidence against the cost that you put into these hard to measure activities. Andy, anything you want to add on to that? I think that we have developed this idea that somehow we can measure and track everything. And that's so not true. And it shouldn't be. If you're trying to measure and track everything, you won't have time to actually optimize on the stuff that you can easily or at least fairly simply track and measure. I've seen stats that say that over 80% of all referral traffic is from dark social. And so if that's the case, we know we need to be there. There's already a business case for that. But if we're trying to say the only way I can make a case is if I have ROI on it, then you're going to fail. I would agree. I think it's interesting. 50% of your direct traffic that comes to your website is really dark social. And most people don't even see that. I'm still trying to buy this company that does that. If anybody wants to go in on buying a company with me, let me know. Uh, either way, I digress. I would agree. I think it's hard to track a lot of these things. I'm interested though, you know, OTT, over the top, you know, TV marketing is becoming more and more popular. Streaming services like Hulu have self-serve advertising that you can target people in their homes. How do we take OTT? Because I'm literally at my house, like watching my late night Law & Order. I don't know if anybody else is a Law & Order junkie, but what a great show. And I'm getting hit up with B2B SaaS companies, right? Selling me their services on OTT. I guess like, how do we track that, right? Again, I go, Drew, right? Like have your call to action. Like, by the way, everybody go to stackbuilder.com. I have a vanity URL, which loads up another page with UTMs on. I know where that comes from. We only talk about it in the podcast, right? So like, I agree with you, you have to have a CTA. But now when we're starting to connect OTT to like somebody's actual house and we have understanding potentially who they are, is it QR codes only or is there other methods of that tracking? I think there's a really interesting use case for some really enterprising, strappy attribution software platform to uh, pair up with uh, Ryan Reynolds Mountain Company and, and see what kind of data they can get from Mountain and, and pipe it into their attribution platform. Because again, there's data there. It's not in our systems yet. But there's data there. And I think that there's a potential use case for that. Now, on the flip side of that, that's where things like self-reported attribution can become very valuable. And, and what Stefan was talking about, qualitative anecdotal evidence. If you are asking folks as a sales rep, if you are creating processes where your sales reps and BDRs are asking the question, where did you hear about us? And recording that as a data point in the CRM, now you have the ability to understand some of these things that are like OTT as it is in its current uh, state that are much more difficult to track, you have those things now. You have the ability to track the performance of the Dream Data big giant uh, billboard that they put in Times Square, right? 
you have the ability to create data around those interactions that is just through a different channel. There are companies too that are putting out like phone numbers that are unique to each ad and they can track through call throughs that way and other things. I mean, there's old school, if you will, methodology. I think that also you can fall back to that's just almost too simple, but it makes sense. And I think the other side of all of this is social listening as a tool for attribution is an interesting piece that a lot of people don't layer in. Products like HubSpot have their own attribution kind of already inside. It kind of does its own tracking a little bit. I know a lot of that's based around UTMs and things like that. But like, how much do you think you should be layering on top of a CRM's attribution tracking like a HubSpot? Is there certain things you should be doing? To that point, I think this goes back to a point that I think it was Andy made earlier on, which is you have to understand what you're trying to track first. Um, Because in some cases, your CRM may be entirely capable of doing that, right? So what are your reporting requirements that you're trying to operationalize? And if your CRM meets those, don't add on. But as you get more mature, you will add reporting requirements on top of that. That will necessitate you adding on above and beyond your CRM. And at that point in time, you need to understand the different platforms that you have like HubSpot and what they're good at tracking and what they're not good at tracking. So for example, I would tell you if you're on HubSpot and you do a lot of events and offline activities like events and webinars and stuff like that, HubSpot's probably not going to be the best attribution solution for you because the way that they track those offline interactions is just not really good in a reporting sense. So you would want to look at something different. So you also need to look at not just what your reporting requirements are, but what your go-to-market is and the strengths and weaknesses of the platforms that you're investigating. The big problem the CRMs have is when you start talking like multi-tech stacks and like data living in several different silos. So say you use HubSpot for the marketing automation component. Well, then you have no clue about what ends up becoming closed one in, in Salesforce afterwards. So a CRM is not kind of a data warehouse, so it can be hard to kind of dump in all that data that is actually relevant to understand the customer journeys. And then specifically to HubSpot, there's a limit to how granular you can get. You know, like you can look at a campaign, but you can't go to the keyword or the ad groups. And there's, there's limitations because there's CRM and an automation tool. They're not, not like designed to go extremely granular on everything. Totally agree on that one. Any final thoughts from anybody in the panel that they wanted to close out with? Maybe anybody wants to drop that call to action that Drew alluded to earlier? Yeah, hit me up on LinkedIn. Come talk to me. We'll have fun. Love it. (laughs) Drew? Uh, Mine's very simple. Just go to attributed.io or find me on LinkedIn. Stefan? Go to dreamdata.io. We have actually a really good free product nowadays where you can put in the tracking script, start storing all the data, and then come back in six months to connect it to your pipeline and revenue. Always have a call to action. Some really great insights there. Probably one of the most important ones being that attribution isn't the holy grail all on its own. But if you track intentionally and you have your tracking done well, you're going to get a fuller picture of the buyer's journey and be able to replicate that with more customers. I'm also a big fan of the idea that people with a stats background, even the most basic, is crucial to interpreting and using data properly. If you don't have someone like that, there's possibly a lot of wasted potential and it devalues the efforts of collecting the data since you can't actually report on it. 
One more thing I want to send you off with is the notion of just because third-party cookies are ending doesn't mean good attribution data has to as well. The future keeps on bringing more solutions and even better solutions that need to solve the problem. And first-party cookies aren't going anywhere. So if you make sure that you're focused on solving for these problems, you're going to do just fine in the future. Anyways, that's enough for me. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button. We want to make sure you hear all of our episodes. This has been a special episode from The Stack with a great panel one. But next week, we're going to be talking to a specific guest about their growth strategies and their stack. So leave that review and I'll talk to you next week.